All right. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About It. I'm Megan. And I'm Jackie. And today we are actually interviewing my dad, Derek Purdue. So obviously I know you, Jackie just met you, but can you just tell our audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, all that stuff? Uh, okay, well, well, yes, I, I am Megan's father, so that's the most <laughs> significant thing in my life right there. Um, well, that and that I'm married to, you know, Michelle, but yes. <laughs> and I have a few other kids too, so I should probably throw them in there. No, I'm um, the only kid, <laughs> the only one that matters. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, uh, I uh, grew up in uh, charismatic, cir- charismatic and Pentecostal circles. Um, And kind of from there, I went off to Bible college, where I did a pastoral studies degree. Um, I've kind of uh, done bivocational stuff, which means I've always had a job in the secular realm and done um, stuff and worked with stuff in the church. Um, So I have a a master's in uh, computers, and uh, I also have a master's in uh, Christian thought from Bethel Seminary. So um, did the the whole, you know, technical computer thing, as well as uh, theology and philosophy, which people find really funny that I do both of those, but um, that's, that's me and my interests. Um, and so kind of there, uh, done a lot of different things with churches from you know, uh, doing things to assist uh, and doing, you know, um, those type of things to uh, trying to do a church plant and um, go through that process. Um, I got saved and came to know the Lord when I was six years old. And so it has been, you know, a journey in the church all throughout my experience from house churches to, um, you know, mega churches to little itty bitty country churches to, um, you know, where, where we're at now, which is a church that I think we had, I think we had 1400, uh, people on Sunday morning for Easter. So, you know, different, just different dynamics that are there. So. Yeah. And we're super excited to talk with you today about navigating church hurt, which is something we've actually had a few audience members request. Um, but real quick, cause you mentioned, you know, you were Pentecostal, you went to a Pentecostal Bible school, if there, obviously this could be a whole podcast episode, but just real briefly, kind of like, what's your journey been when in terms of denomination even? Ooh, yeah, that gets interesting. So yeah, I grew up in charismatic circles, uh, as in my parents got kicked out of the church in the seventies because during the charismatic uh, renewal and uh, because uh, they were part of a church that didn't believe any of that. So they got kicked out and did uh, house churches for a while. So um, my young experience in the church was house churches in uh, a very charismatic setting. Um, from there, went into uh, Assemblies of God. Uh, grew up, uh, you know, my uh, late grade school, junior high, high school in uh, Assemblies of God circles, went to an Assemblies of God school, got licensed as an Assemblies of God minister, and then realized that I couldn't sign the statement of faith anymore. Um, <laughs> and we just found that I had some differing uh, views on theology. Um, there were a few uh, points that they had in their statement of faith that I just couldn't affirm. And so instead of trying to fight with that, I just kind of stepped back and said, I need to reassess kind of where this is at. 
um, and kind of did a journey that took me to reform circles and uh, spent a lot of time um, dealing with, with that. And I'm not sure what I would classify myself now. I'm kind of post-reformed. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably more reformed than one camp would like and not reformed enough for the other camp anymore. And that's kind of probably where I sit, if that kind of makes it as, you know, as clear as it can be there. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously that journey, because you're changing a lot theologically, means that you're navigating a lot of different things in the church. Because it's a lot of times it's when you're confronted with different elements, different things that you deal with in life, whether it be hardships in your own life or problems in the church that make you kind of wrestle with different things that otherwise you wouldn't question. And so when you question those things and wrestle with those things, that's what causes those shifts. And, you know, for, for me, some of that shifting has been, you know, problems in the church as uh, um I think it was Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, uh, there's often more gore than glory when it comes to the church. So as Megan said, we're going to talk about church hurt in this episode. And um, some people might not know what that term means. So if you could define it for us um, before we dive into your experiences with it specifically. Okay. I would say church hurt kind of falls into a couple categories. And I would say that it can be um, individual. So it can be a problem that is caused by interaction with individuals that cause you harm or hurt. And so it could be done at an individual level. Um, so you have this expectation of, of family and of caring and, hey, you run into somebody that that's not the experience that you've had. It could be institutional as in, the way the structure of the community goes, you know, you get overrun. Um, and that can oftentimes be the fun one where nobody did anything necessarily wrong, but you were hurt. Or they don't even realize that they've caused that pain. Um, and that can be uh, difficult. And it's just how the institution of the church happened to run. And sometimes it can be direct abuse, whether that be um, not addressing properly abuse that's in the home, and so you've been left to hang, or it can be direct spiritual abuse that within the church itself, where somebody is doing something that, that I would classify as being sinful and evil, and they cause pain and harm. And that's, that's to me, that's your, your church hurt. It's, I've walked through that, now what? is kind of the, the way I would look at that. And I feel like um, it's sort of become the reason a lot of people have like deconstructed or even left the church is because they have these experiences that are hurtful mm -hmm. and they haven't been able to find healing within a church. And so they look outside of the church or elsewhere and feel like they're finding healing there. Um, so I think it's, helpful to talk to you about your experience because you're still very much involved in the church, <laughs> very much still a Christian, not someone who has like decided to, you know, find Jesus somewhere else. Um, so maybe could you just 
kind of like talk a little bit about what your experience has been and and what you've learned or how that's affected you? Hmm. Yeah, you know, when we started looking at these questions and you're kind of wrestling through with this whole thing is like, okay, so how much do you share? <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, how much do you work through? Um, I've been in the church a long time. I grew up in the church. And because of that, I, I'd say outside of uh, having, you know, been harmed, like with sexual abuse or physical abuse, I think I've walked through just about every other kind of function that there is. Um, I mean, the first time I think that um, for me, that hardship really kind of came into play was actually um, a result of my father's sin, where he had an affair and left my mother and the church struggling to do right by trying to do church discipline, but doing it in such a way that it caused harm to us as children in the home. And uh, so we had to walk through being there and going to church while everybody else, this is the big topic everybody's talking about. And they forget that as a child, you're there and you hear, and that's your dad. And, um, and I think that was probably the, you know, the first time I had that experience. And it's one that has kept my sister, my oldest sister out of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since. And it was that experience from our, from our childhood that was that pivotal moment. Um, so, I mean, it was walking through that. And, you know, that's one of those where nobody was intending to cause harm, mm. but yet harm was, was kind of dealt with. Um, I've dealt with a, uh, a pastor who created an environment where uh, they preached grace, but did it in such a way that what they gave you was law and separation and uh, a sense that you had to have, you know, everything just right. Mm. And if you didn't, you know, then, you know, somehow grace kind of became this whip of the law to beat you up with. Mm. And in spite of the fact that there was there was a lot of truth that was there, there was just some unhealthiness that was there that you 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 know that had impact and and was difficult and the the person was very you know machiavellian very very controlling uh, very much uh, a person who had that dynamic and easily manipulated so even if you would go to confront them you would have all your stuff planned out as to what you would say you'd walk in there and when you walked out you would go now wait a minute that didn't go anything like I had planned and I, we did nothing and we didn't talk about it. And somehow I came out agreeing with them. And, and that was kind of the dynamic was there all the while he was having an affair for two years with a lady <laughs> in the church that he had been counseling. And when he started preaching that certain sins were um, true, you know, things to be concerned about and certain sins weren't true things to be concerned about. And when confronted with this, um, I actually got disciplined from the pulpit, um, which uh, is a very pleasant experience. Uh, You know, and you walk away from that. Sort of a public shaming. Yes. Yep. And that was probably, I would say, probably one of the worst experiences that I've I've gone through. Um, But I mean, I've also walked through uh, churches where 
you know, there was a, a shame culture that kind of grew and built into it. So, you know, as you're going through the dynamic, you felt like if I had questions or doubts or if I was struggling, I couldn't share it because to share it meant judgment and, uh, you know, uh, condemnation that would be put upon you. So you, you kind of held it all in and kind of had to hide your hurts and your doubts. And then, you know, there's, you know, difficulties even just with, uh, you know, trying to do ministry uh, where because of health issues, I spent time in a wheelchair and being overlooked for positions because you had a physical malady, um, which had nothing to do with your ability to actually do things spiritually, but, you know, was something that people looked at and would say, you know, we don't want somebody in a wheelchair and having to wrestle with and deal with those type of, of feelings and dynamics as you walk through things. And so, yeah, so as I said, more gore than glory as you kind of go through that whole process. And yet in the end, I love the church. And that's, I think, the place where we still got to get back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the full spectrum in a way. Um, you mentioned earlier too that, you know, within church hurt, there can be cases of spiritual abuse. Would you say that in every case of church hurt, there's an element of spiritual abuse? Is it in specific circumstances uh, for people who have no idea what spiritual abuse is? is could you kind of like work that out for them? <laughs> uh, spiritual abuse is when I use biblical language and biblical things mm-hmm. to control behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that through, you know, can, it can be very manipulative. It can be gaslighting. It can be all sorts of, you know, dynamics that are there, but I'm using this guise of spiritual authority or, or biblical authority to make it so that you can't be hurt and you can't be mad at me. Um, so language like saying, you know, Jesus won't forgive you if you don't forgive me. Well, okay, you you better wrestle with that one. Yes, the Bible says to forgive. And yes, we are called to forgive, but we should be very careful on not addressing the hurt and the pain and the damage that's there because the Bible never discounts sin Mm -hmm. and the effect of sin. And so we need to deal with it as a whole. And you can't use that, you know, biblical language to, you know, suppress that and suppress that dynamic. And those, I think, is how spiritual abuse often kind of plays out. You, you get that where they use the you use theological language in the Bible and the fact that, you know, uh, authority of a position to just kind of suppress that, you know, where you can't, you can't be hurt or you're told to, to be quiet or mm-hmm. to stay silent um, to ignore the hurt, ignore the pain, or to disregard sin that's there. Because to call the sin is to then put in question your own salvation or standing before God. And that's spiritual abuse. And no, not all church hurt is that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because church hurt sometimes can be people doing things that are perfectly within their right to do, and it's not a sinful act to do, but they do it in such a way that they forget that you are a human being with feelings. Mm -hmm. And when they hurt you, they forget to acknowledge and deal with that because they feel like if I say, I'm sorry, you're hurt, 
that somehow they're saying I should have done something different or that I did something wrong. And sometimes you can do it. You can, you can not be wrong and still not be right Mm -hmm. in your actions. And so you can cause pain without doing the heavy handed spiritual abuse. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes in reacting to the fact that I've done that, I will turn to spiritual things to make it so I don't have to feel guilty about the fact that you're hurt. Mm. And I can then step into that spiritual abuse by saying things like, you know, God is sovereign, which is very true, but God is sovereign. So he must have wanted this situation to work this way. And you know, there's a reality that God is sovereign and we can lean on his sovereignty and his control of things. But that doesn't discount sin. It doesn't discount wrong and it doesn't discount pain. Mm-hmm. That's why we have uh, Psalm 88, which starts with, you know, dark and gloomy gets worse and ends dark and gloomy and it never gets better. There is that element in life that we all have our Psalm 88 moments where it just it just kind of hurts mm. and we have to deal with that reality and it's not wrong to be hurt. Mm. And kind of like what you were mentioning earlier too, there's a spectrum of, you know, you can experience hurt from fellow congregants. So it's almost like mm-hmm. a peer to peer church hurt. Then there's the spiritual authority hurt or an institutional hurt. And I, and I think a lot of times that's maybe where the spiritual abuse comes into play because there is an, like a power imbalance mm-hmm. in a sense, yep. you know, me as a congregant versus this person that is put in the place of the shepherd and has this authority to teach, to exercise discipline. I mean, I can't put a pastor under spiritual discipline, you know, like it's just the dynamic mm-hmm. is completely different. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that pastors have to be kept accountable for and that's why there should be systems in place that is holding them accountable and like you were mentioning with the one church if you have a pastor in place who is very good at manipulating and gaslighting and Mm -hmm. twisting things so that he is the only one in control Mm -hmm. that's where those situations can breed (laughs) yep especially when you start watching things because it'll always start where there's lots of connections lots of things in the more and more, uh, not only is the the pastor or leaders becoming more isolated from outside authority that could question things, but they bring out even the congregation of a, as a whole and pull them out of other avenues. So then it almost becomes a, you know, what's the what are those little, uh, aqua- not aquariums, but the little oh, uh, like a terrarium. tra- tra- terrariums. <laughs> it becomes its own little ecosystem that feeds itself. Yeah. And, and you can kind of watch that dynamic happen in an unhealthy situation. Mm-hmm. And turning that, you know, out and changing that is often very hard. But if you're, if you, you know, if you're watching that happen, it's, it's something the earlier that it's addressed and confronted, the better, because it's the more likely you can get back to health. But sometimes, sometimes those dynamics just go and it's just it, you for your own health, it's time to find a different place to, to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the dynamic, but oftentimes it's hard to switch because you'll get the whole, uh, you know, if they go out from us, they were never among us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, you know, where all of a sudden you feel like you're gonna you're gonna lose friends, you're gonna lose that community connection, and that's a hard thing to to risk. And yet, for your own health, sometimes that is the risk that needs to be taken. And I think that's an element that's important to point out too, because I think a lot of times people maybe who haven't experienced any pain within the church would look at like that situation and be like, why wouldn't you just leave? Like, just leave. And in a sense, it's sort of like telling a wife of an abusive husband, like, well, why didn't you just divorce him? It's like, well, it's not quite that simple. And even in the leaving, there is pain. Even if you are leaving an unhealthy situation and going somewhere healthier, like there was a reason you were involved in that community in the first place. And that's painful to leave behind. And no matter how hurt you are, in fact, the more you're hurt and angry, then the more you actually loved that community at one Mm. point in time. Mm -hmm. Because if you didn't love them, then they really can't hurt you. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's in that seeking of love and care that we make ourselves vulnerable to be hurt. But yet we have to make ourselves vulnerable or we never get the love and care and community that we need as well. And so that's that's the the tie that's there. Mm-hmm. And as I think both of you mentioned, a lot of times also, especially if there's spiritual abuse involved, there's a fear of if you leave, you'll lose your salvation or you were somehow never really a Christian, yep. you know, however you view it. So it became very difficult to leave because that tie is I mean, you're tied to God and in a lot of mm-hmm. ways in spiritual abuse, if you leave, they're like, well, you're going to lose God. You'll have no way to reach God or you're never a Christian if you leave. Yeah. Um, so it be, can become really, really tricky. Or even yeah. having, pe- even if you do have security, mm-hmm. having people that you used to love and care about consider you not a Christian yeah. <laughs> and a horrible person. That's hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it doesn't last, Yeah, you know, you know, the, you know, the Bible always talks about the fact that, you know, sin is always found out. I mean, it's the revelation will always come. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the reality of what goes on, you know, it all happens. It just might happen many years after you're out of the environment and <laughs> you're healed and you're no longer even looking at it. And you happen to stumble across somebody and you go, oh, hey, you know, that actually all came to a head finally and mm-hmm. was addressed by the Holy Spirit. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, those dynamics are there. Or, hey, that church doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. Wonder why. Hmm. Could be that God finally, you know, took care of it himself. And, <laughs> you know, you... you these things do happen and that dynamic is there. It's just that when you're dealing with the uh, abuse, the, the, dealing with the pain of, of being hurt is, is a, a careful thing to do because, you know, it's the, the kind of the dynamic of both the call and the, the, the uh, comfort of the gospel is that as being hurt, I know that, you know, the comfort of the gospel is that Jesus cares, that Jesus is walking through my hurt with me, and he experienced church hurt. I mean, it wasn't in the same sense, but he experienced betrayal of one of the 12, Mm -hmm. and he experienced the, the pain of going through that and dealing with that betrayal and that loss. He went through the experience of having his, his brothers not... Uh, being with him and fleeing and not, you know, seeing him for what he is. And he he went through that. So 
as we walk through it, the comfort of the gospel is that God is there. He understands intimately the pain we are walking through, and he's not leaving us alone. But the call of the gospel is that when we're walking through that pain, it's easy for those who are hurt and have been abused to become the abuser. It's easy for us to turn that hurt into uh, an unhealthy anger that then is is something that that will actually can poison us. And we become that which we actually hate and Mm. desire not to be. And so the call of the gospel is that in spite of being hurt, I'm not free to sin because God has not called me to sin. He's called me to grace and life and to, to obedience before him. And the good part is, you know, Romans, as Romans states, we can trust him to judge these situations. And he is always paying attention. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to point out, too, that that bitterness can fester in us um, from these situations. And, you know, it can very much start where we were the victim and we were experiencing this hurt and the anger and the pain and the sadness that we feel is very valid following mm-hmm. that circumstance, but can very much like the, it can become a temptation for bitterness, for sin. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a breeding ground for mm-hmm. that. And I think even just reading or even talking with people who have like deconstructed or left the church because of these situations, a lot of the times I feel like they start to equate their experience with a certain local church as how God views them. Mm -hmm. So if this pastor was, you know, abusing authority was, you know, very legalistic or cruel towards them, like that's how God is. Therefore, like, I don't want anything to do with God. So what would your suggestions be for someone like who is going through this experience to be able to sort of separate their experience of a certain church and like, who God is in his character. Well, again, that is, that is one of the biggest challenges in this whole thing when you're dealing with hurt. And the first thing I would say is allow yourself time to deal with being hurt. Mm-hmm. You don't get over hurt overnight. Even if you, if you decide you're going to walk the road of forgiveness, it is a road of forgiveness. And if you want to walk the road of healing, it is a road of healing which means allow yourself to have the moments where you fall down and you're just mad, where you want to scream out at God and understand he's big enough to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, nothing you say is going to surprise him or hurt his feelings. Uh, He is the creator God and he's far bigger than any of our words could, could cause um, difficulty. So. And he already knows what we're feeling. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. (laughs) So it's okay if we express it. (laughs) Yes. In fact, you know, you should probably just express it and get it out and start with it because if you actually state it and it comes out of your mouth, oftentimes then you can actually evaluate what you're really feeling. Mm -hmm. When you don't state what you're feeling, when you don't express it, it is just there and it's larger than it really is mm. and you can't deal with it. So walk the road, just accept that you're going to be able to walk the road. There are relationships in our life that God uses to give us pictures of who he is. Mm. And it is always difficult when, when sin twists those relationships 
So it twists our perception of who he is. The the child who had an abusive father, when they hear that God is my father, they're not comforted until they can understand that their experience of their father and that sinfulness that was there is not the experience of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it that's a struggle to, to, to break apart. The, the wife that was abused by a husband, when she hears that, that Jesus is, our, is the husband of the church, that's not a comforting picture until you, you look at it and realize that everything that that husband was not, Jesus is for the church. He's the one that we see in the Old Testament that was willing to go over and over and over again to the prostitute that was his wife to draw her back, even though she was full into adultery. And you look at the people of Israel, they were anything but a good example of a, you know, a faithful wife. (laughs) wife. And yet we see the picture of the faithfulness of God. So Part of it is is actually addressing the fact that those images are there and those they're marred and mm-hmm. that it's okay to be even be triggered by that reality. When you if you are, you know, if you've if you had an abusive father and you're in church on a father's day and they do this big thing honoring fathers, boy, you got to take a breath and know that it's going to be there and and know that you need to look towards our heavenly father versus our father. Um, growing up, I mean, I love my dad to death and my dad is a great man and I have learned many things from him. But when I was young, my parents' divorce um, caused, you know, breaking of some of those images of God for me as well, things I've had to wrestle with. And they're not really, other than the fact that my family was broken by uh, adultery and divorce. That was my my father's fault. The, the the breaking of those images, I can look at and say they were impacted by the actions and the sins of my father, but they're not really his fault. But when, as a child, your father's no longer there. He's not there present because, you know, the, your parents don't live together anymore. And you know your father loves you, but he's not there with you all of a sudden wrestling with how do I view God? Do I view God as, you know, he loves me and he's out there, but he's not present and interactive and trying to help me in my life. That's a big challenge. That's one that, that I wrestled with a lot growing up is, you know, seeing and knowing that God loved me, but yet, never really seeing that God wanted to be actually in my life and he cared about my life and the little things of it. And so you have those pictures that you you have to wrestle with. And part of it, I would say, is depending on how bad that image marring is, go get help. Um, Because you're probably not going to you're probably not going to recognize the depth of that hurt and the damaging of that image, much less be able to walk into a proper image alone. It's not a path to take alone. And that's why people tend to want to give up on things because it's also a painful path because you got to deal with the pain. Getting on the other side of it, though, is freedom. It is health. It is, you know, walking through things. 
you will still have scars. So don't ever think that you walk through life without scars. Mm -hmm. But scars aren't bad. Open wounds are bad. Mm -hmm. uh, scars just mean that I've had experiences. And I've been able to see both what the hurt and impact of sin is, but the healing and help that God brings. It's when you're dealing with the, uh, you know, the, the open wounds, those, those will, those will kill you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, what advice would you have for someone who maybe went through some kind of very, um, not just church hurt, but something that was spiritually abusive and something that, like you said, they're dealing with an open wound currently because healing is a journey and they might be at a point in their healing where it might be triggering to go to a church service or go to something. Um, what kind of advice would you have for someone that's in that place that still um, wants to take part in the body of Christ, but it is triggering for them for whatever reason they might have gone through some really severe abuse mm -hmm. well one find people to walk through it with you um walking through it alone is really hard so find some people that are willing to walk that road with you realize that your value to god is in um you not in what you do and so that it's okay to not to go and just sit in the back and be there and realize that you don't have to be a part of anything because when you're being triggered, you're not in a state where you can minister. Mm -hmm. So it is the time for you to be ministered to. Mm -hmm. And it's the time for you to find people that can come around you to help you. And so give yourself that time, realize you don't, you don't have to earn God's favor. Mm -hmm. God's already, died on the cross for you, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to be greater value to him. And God doesn't need you to do the work in the world. He invites you to join mm -hmm. into the work. And part of that is even your own healing. So give yourself that space and do that. If the, if the pain or the hurt is bad enough, um, then seek good professional help. Mm -hmm. Because Abuse and trauma are very real things and PTSD reactions to things and triggering things is a very real reality. And getting help for that can be sometimes something you cannot do just alone. So it, it's hard to give a cut and dry, here, do this, this, this. Here's your formula. It depends on the, the trauma that you're going through. So, you know, when... When I went through that, the, that church experience that where the, you know, got corrected from the pulpit, it, it actually tore apart my family, not my immediate family of me and my wife, but my family and my greater family. So it put uh, hurdles and obstacles and ripped apart my, you know, me and my, my mother and put difficulties in our relationship that as, as that, and you're pulling that away. And I walked out of that not knowing you're feeling so twisted around here. I'm a, you know, went to school for pastoral studies. You know, I'm a big fan of theology and the Bible. And yet I didn't know which way was up when I walked out of that experience. I didn't know what was real about God and what wasn't, what was real about the church anymore or what wasn't. And I had had difficulty and I actually, there was a period of time, even for myself, where I sat out of church for six months because I realized 
I could not even sit in a church service and not be triggered. And, Mm -hmm. and that was just the reality of where I was at. Now I was also not alone. Um, I had a friend that often would come over and we would talk. And I remember the day that it broke through that I realized how bitter I actually was and how critical I was when we were talking about things and we're sitting there and I'm talking about the church in such a negative voice while he's sitting in my office on the floor and he's just talking about, yes, but, you know, I just love this person. And, oh, I just love this person. And, you know, this person just cares. And God just loves that person. And look what God has done over here. And I'm just like, oh, I do not see the same thing he sees. And it was a breaking point for me that allowed me to realize that I need to see the church through God's eyes so that I can forgive the church for the hurt that I have. Mm-hmm. And that that's a hard road. Forgiveness is, we throw it around where we say, you know, uh, I forgive you, you know, hey, you know, but forgiveness never happens without a cost. Uh, We're forgiven before God because Jesus died on the cross. Uh, I mean, that's, that was a huge price he paid so that we could be forgiven. If I'm going to forgive somebody, it means I'm taking on a cost. Um, And that cost might simply be I am no longer choosing to over and over and over again, replay the hurt that was there. I'm choosing when I wake up in the morning that I will look towards good versus bad, that I will do these things. I'm, it's not a, a dismissing of the hurt because that's wrong. It's saying the hurt is real, but in spite of that, I will still choose to do right. And I will still choose to love. Mm -hmm. And that's a daily choice you make. And it is one of those ones on the road that you hit, you know, for at first you're hitting, you know, two out of five, and then you're hoping to get three out of five. And then, (laughs) then you get to five out of five days and then you're hoping, okay, now I can bridge to maybe six days and then, okay, we can get seven days in a row. And it is that path that you have to take and you make those choices to kind of move forward. And so that's the, the challenge that's there. Community is the big mm-hmm. thing um, in all of this. Um, so find that community. If you need to step out of the church for a period of time, don't do it in isolation. Yeah. Find people who are mm-hmm. that you can share the hurt with, mm-hmm. explain the hurt and experience that, you know, people that will come around and pray with you, um, that will spend time with you and help you to, after a period of time, go back into the church. I like how you emphasize how important community is, because I think right now across all denominations, we are seeing this huge movement of deconstruction and a lot of people that ending in just totally leaving the church um, because when they're hurt, instead of seeking that community, they just run and they cut themselves off and nothing good happens in isolation. That's where, you know, the devil works. That's where that bitterness and that shame will breed is in that isolation. So it's so important yep. to find that community, even if, especially if you're actively being triggered when you go to church or mass or you, you might need to leave that church or just completely take a step back, but still having that community and having those people that can walk with you and still, you know, help you, as you said, can be good images of God in that time when your church failed you. Yep. 
and speak truth into you because I think like you were saying too like a lot of times you can't recognize like you might Mm -hmm. you might recognize like okay I am struggling with feeling like I know God exists but he's absent yeah I don't know where that comes from or why I'm feeling that way and having someone who cares about you and who knows enough of what has gone on could Mm -hmm. say do you ever think it's because you know, your dad was absent for that period of your development. Mm. Oh, well, that would make a lot of sense. And now I can well, actually like address that and navigate. Yeah, you can start that. kind of navigate <laughs> yeah. what that actually means. Yeah, it's it's always the challenge of looking for where your um, professed theology and your lived theology and the gap that's there. Mm. So I can say, God loves me. But if I live my life like he's always in judgment of me, then then I have a gap between my perceived, my what I know in my head and what I know in my heart. And what the goal always is to bridge that together so that what I know in my head is also what I realize in my heart mm-hmm. so that I don't have those gaps. But it's hard to see those gaps outside of community. I can say I love people, but if I never have to interact <laughs> with anybody, then do I really know if I love people? You know, <laughs> also if I'm just interacting with myself, <laughs> you know, I'm always right when I argue with myself. You know, it's it's much different when I have to deal with somebody else and they, you know, call me on the carpet or they they look at the words that I say or the actions that I live and they go, "You seem like you're not quite, you know, going there." And I, those are oftentimes things I can't recognize. Myself, I need other people to, to interact with. And sometimes it's I just need to actually see it in somebody else, not necessarily even hear it. I need to see it. I need to live life with people. And that's so important. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's two really great resources that are very practical that someone could seek out too, is that sort of that peer-to-peer community, but then also professional you know, resources and that community with a, uh, a professional environment kind of attacking at both angles there you know Mm -hmm. so you get the uh either a christian counselor or even just a therapist being able to speak into you know sort of the effects of that trauma but then also just community and friendship and relationships of people who can keep you accountable accountable and point out like maybe where they see bitterness beginning and address Mm -hmm. that so that you can actually heal instead of just continue down this road of pain yep yeah, and the challenge is always to realize, first and foremost, we have an idea of what church should be. Mm-hmm. We see this idea of perfect people that perfectly love each other, that are the perfect supporting family. Mm-hmm. And we have this idea. And, you know, as uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together put it, it's that very expectation of what church is that often makes me the accuser of the brother. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to let go of that as well and realize that the church is made up of people like us. Mm-hmm. A lot of sinful people that are blundering their way through life, seeking after God, and we're all doing it together, which means, like it or not, we're going to hurt each other. And we got to be committed to the reality that we're going to walk that path together. Now, you know, I always want to be careful saying that because the 
caveat is, is there's a lot of hurts that happen just because we rub shoulders together and we're walking in community. Because as soon as we have more than one person, I mean, if you're, if you've ever been in a relationship or been married to anybody, you know, that living with people will cause you to rub shoulders and do things, you know, you'll, you'll irritate each other. No matter how much you love each other, you'll irritate each other. And the same is true about the church. We're going to walk down that road and we just need to be committed to walk that road together, which means addressing things. We need to have a community that actually addresses problems and realities when they're there and they're small. Um, too often we hide those and that's been the nature of the church. And I think that's why people dis are deconstructing more than anything else mm -hmm. is because we've carried this idea of, um, you know, where we have to be holy, we have to be perfect. And what we end up being is just a bunch of hypocrites because we are a bunch of hypocrites. I hate right. to <laughs> say it, but you know, we all say <laughs> we love each other and I really don't like them. You know, <laughs> I mean, we all wrestle with that reality because we are still, you know, bridging that gap. We haven't yet walked into eternity where sin is removed from our life. And so we're still kind of, you know, messing around with that. If we understand that, then it's easier to navigate the small hurts. Now, the abuse, you know, that's not something you ignore. That abuse is not something you just walk in and say, I'm going to forgive because I just don't want people to meet my expect. You know, people might not meet my expectations. Sure. <laughs> you know, so I always want the caveat is, you know, don't, don't, don't go, Hey, everything's okay. Uh, you know, yeah, they're a little abusive, but you know, that's okay. That's just who they are. No, no, it's never okay. It's never okay to be okay with sin. It's okay. When the sin is the callousness of our selfishness, as we blunder through together. Yeah. I could, love covers a multitude of sins like that. We can forgive each other for, that careless word or the careless moment or the time that, you know, somebody wouldn't sit and listen when we needed to say something. Those are, those are moments of living life together. We forgive those, but when somebody is abusive or harmful mm -hmm. or they're causing pain and destruction, no, we need to stand against that. And we should never let that go as, as a church. And every time we've done that, we mar our witness and, you know, we send people out to go be deconstructed because we just weren't mm -hmm. willing to be honest enough and say, yes, that happened. Yes, people were hurt. And yes, that was really wrong. And God did not honor that. Mm -hmm. And we need to just be, you know, straight up with that. And sometimes that's done individually, as in, I've walked through this pain, knowing that, you know, God looked at that and said, that that hurt. And I understand that hurt. And that was wrong that you had to experience that. And knowing that he is willing to heal that. Mm -hmm. And he's not only willing to heal that, but he's willing to take that into eternity and make it better. Mm -hmm. um, I can hold on to that and, and I can do that. But if I ignore the sin, all I'm doing then is giving free reign for the next person to be hurt and abused. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's not right. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times these issues are kind of held in the dark because I think sometimes like people are are nervous to address the fact that the church is imperfect because they feel like acknowledging imperfection ruins our witness. And in fact, they end up 
doing the opposite because covering that up or keeping things in the dark or not addressing sin when it needs to be addressed is what ruins our witness. Mm -hmm. And so really like a huge solution for this is even just being willing to talk about it with each other and keep each other accountable and to bring up these situations, Mm -hmm. honestly, and acknowledge them and show that we're not afraid to face the messiness Mm -hmm. of, you know, Christian community on this side of heaven. Cause I think it is a healthy longing that we have that we want the community that we one day will have in heaven, which is perfect yeah. and recognizing we don't have that yeah. now. And we should be able to talk about that. We should be able to talk about that. And we need to just also realize that a church without conflict is probably the most spiritually abusive place you've ever been mm. because People don't walk with freedom. People don't wrestle with doubts. People don't struggle with truth. People don't change in a vacuum of unmessiness. And so there needs to be the expectation of messiness, as in I need to be willing to have people see the messiness that I struggle with. And I need to be willing to see the messiness that they struggle with and be able to see that that's God at work. But when when you look around everybody's perfect and nobody fights and there's no conflict. That's a bad situation. That's as bad as the outright war in the church. Um, Because the outright war in the church is then we have a bunch of people that are grabbing at power and they've forgotten that unity is what Christ died for. And so both of those extremes are very unhealthy, but that little part in the middle is still pretty messy. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you've got to be willing to let it be messy. Uh-huh. And that's actually healthy. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be so vulnerable and share your own experiences and your own hurts. Um, but then also just your wisdom of kind of walking and being on the other side of that, I think is really helpful for someone who has either had that in their past or is going through it currently mm-hmm. to just kind of hear from the mouth of someone who's walked in those shoes, I think is really good. Um, yeah, so, I think yeah. it's great to have a witness tell their story of someone that has gone through um, church hurt and even spiritual abuse within the church. But then someone that walked through that and went through the healing and is still in the body of Christ and is still in the church is still a Christian and still loves Jesus and can differentiate between the broken and flawed humans that have hurt you and the actual character of God, because mm-hmm. so many people are leaving right now. Um And I just think it's good to have a witness of someone that stayed. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. you. And uh, yeah, you should continue to talk about it. (laughs) 